Hello, hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to May, the start of spring, the official end of uni for some of us, and for me, my 22nd birthday. And welcome to the eighth episode of Truth or Delina. This episode will tackle a topic that has been itching at my brain throughout the last couple months and much of last year. Weird things that we still somehow question in 2023. I'm very excited to have my friend Lexi join me on this guest episode today to provide some of her personal and psych-related perspectives from both her experiences and her studies. Without further ado, let's address the elephants in the room. Let me not put my feet that way so I don't bump them. Okay. All right. Hello, my dear friend. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. What about you? I'm doing well, except for the wildfires that are happening outside. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was literally choking. I'm like wearing a mask again. It feels like the pandemic is restarting. Yeah. I woke up um, yesterday and I had slept with my window open. So I was like, oh, woke into like a huge surprise of not being able to breathe. But Oh my God. Yeah. That'd be so scary. I know. I was like texting my housemate. Because I asked her, because she usually leaves her apartment window open. I was like, was it open? She's like, oh, yeah, it is wide open. Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck you. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Anyhow, thank you again for joining me on my show today. No problem. Mm -hmm. I've been telling Lexi that I've been dying to write an episode for us to talk all about the strange topics that still arise in debate today. So I'm looking forward to getting into these with you. Me too, me too. Mm -hmm. For those of you who haven't met Lexi, she is one of my most thoughtful and empathetic friends here in the city. We actually met through Shelby over the summer and have since grown close over numerous coffees, comedy shows, and of course, discussions in our own unique perspectives as queer, neurodivergent women of color. She is so easy to talk to about anything and everything, and I often find myself picking her brain for her psych knowledge as oh she God. nears the end of her bachelor's in You're psychology. Me sounds like official. So <laughs> you. you are official. <laughs> I'm thrilled to bring our discussions to you all and hope that you learn more than a little something about the most pressing topics on our minds today. I guess we're just going to get started. Okay. All right, so the first section of questions that I have for you are related to psychology and just your background to get okay. into it. Um, so before we get into like the main meat of the controversial things in our mm-hmm. discussion, why did you choose to pursue psychology? Um, okay, so like I feel like my life has been, especially school-wise, very difficult throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the things I wanted to do the dreams I had as a kid everyone was like you can't like make that into a career I feel like my parents were always like telling us that we could do whatever we wanted to do and then like my siblings were gifted students they it kind of felt like they had their lives like figured out figured out and I never did so like whereas my sister was like oh I'm gonna be a doctor Mm -hmm. and like was taking the steps towards that like I was in junior high and I was like I don't know what I want to do and I was in high school and I was like I still don't know what I want to do. And everyone was telling me, like, you need to figure this out now. Then I, like, took my first, I had the opportunity to take a psychology class, like, as an option. That's right. I think it was probably in my, I want to say, like, junior year or maybe, maybe 10th grade. But Mm -hmm. I was just, like, finally, like, it was the first thing that I was, like, super interested in. And, like, with my learning in school, I found it all, like, really dull. And I found a lot of the stuff we learned, like, pretty meaningless. But then I actually, like, for the first time, like, had an interest in something. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to, like, keep pursuing that interest. And then that's oh. how 
I decided that I wanted to go into psychology. That's beautiful. And I think it's like very resonant with a lot of people who have siblings and who have high achieving siblings, Mm -hmm. let's say, especially with your sister wanting to pursue medical school and your brother doing really well in school as well. I feel like psychology and the soft sciences, if you will, Mm -hmm. are undervalued in comparison to that. Definitely. Yeah. Like even there's a joke, um, like in my family, like, cause I wanted to, I was like, maybe I'll become a psychologist. And then they're like, oh, okay. So your sister will be the real doctor oh, and you'll be the fake one. Fuck. That's so yeah. hard. <laughs> when you look at society, we'll probably, we'll get into this more so in the discussion, but we need more people who are passionate about psychology, who initially want to go into it and who, you know, have the life experiences and have the support to carry them through that because these are our therapists and the people that support right? us in daily life. That's kind of fucked. I'm sorry to <laughs> no, hear it's that. Okay. It's, it's fine. <laughs> um, what are the most important pieces of advice that you've gathered throughout, I guess, your discovery journey, but also just in your degree in general, if you had to give one or two pieces of advice? I feel like for students trying to figure it out, when I came into university, I was so like adamant on just like getting good grades to the point where I feel like I sacrificed a lot of the other areas of my life. Like I found that I didn't make any friends that year. I found that I wasn't like taking care of my mental health. Like it was always school before everything. And I did good, but then like going into the pandemic at the end of my first year of university just made me realize like how important it is to have a good, well-rounded life Mm -hmm. while you're in university and not just focus on those grades like they are important Mm -hmm. and what you do in university is important but also the growth that you experience outside of school is just as important as well yeah so I'd say definitely like take time to grow like not just oh I'm just gonna advance through these classes just do this like to grow like as a person and to try like new things rather than just like focus on this one like small area of your life Mm -hmm. you know what I mean absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. and I think like this maybe not be something taught in psychology, but I feel like it's really helped me understand people more. Mm-hmm. But just the idea of um, individuality and also compassion, just like you don't know what's going on with like a person day to day. Like we tend to kind of quantify people based on this one thing they did or like this one way that they hurt us. And we don't go like deeper into it, like maybe ask why. I think it's definitely the asking of why I feel like is the most important part. Like there's things we do. And a lot of the times we just take those things at face value, but I think it's important to look deeper into it to be able to understand ourselves and also like the people around us. Yeah, absolutely. I think like you're saying the why, I think not enough people ask questions nowadays. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been realizing that too, where it's, Um, Being able to pick up on the subconscious biases as I'm having them, it's a Mm -hmm. really interesting experience because it's like, where did I get that thought from? Why am I thinking that? Is this something that's applicable to my experiences with this person? Or is it just me extrapolating, right? Exactly. You, start, mm-hmm. you realize like a lot of the things that we initially think or a lot of the opinions that we form, which we'll get into today mm-hmm. too, don't really have a pull from anything else besides other false things that we come up with and they mm-hmm. all tie together into a little web of... No, that's what I mean. And then it's just funny, like throughout my life, like kind of mm-hmm. like always asking why and people like, don't ask why, like don't ask why since I'm a child. Yeah. It's like, this is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And then kind of that pushback 
that you get from asking those questions because like they make people uncomfortable and they're like hard to talk about but I feel like it's still important to ask those questions yeah um and touching on individuality and Mm -hmm. you know you were talking about growing up and why you kind of decided to pursue psychology Mm -hmm. what was growing up like for you (laughs) and like do you think that that contributed not only to like your direct decision, but just like you leaning more towards psychology as opposed to, I don't know, kin or biology or other areas of science. Um, Yeah, I feel like a big part of it, like not in other areas of science, just has to do with like my strong like love and connection, like for people around me, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I guess as a kid, like I always wanted to help people. And I feel like that's still like kind of like my lifelong like journey, I guess, is to help people. Mm -hmm. And of course you can do that in many ways, but I just feel like I really loved getting to know people. I loved like, you know, what's wrong Mm -hmm. and then being able to see if I could do anything to make that better. You know what I mean? And I feel Mm -hmm. like that really translated into me growing up to like want to be like somebody that helps people with what's going on inside their head, like not just what they're exhibiting on the outside. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I This is what I was saying earlier. She's very empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> so the next section that we're going to go into is about social phobias. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, like kind of talking about growing up, I know you and I both have similar backgrounds growing up in a majority white neighborhood. Mm-hmm figuring out your queer, figuring out your ADHD, being a person of color, like all these other factors, right? So I did, I wanted to ask about, and also I'll answer this question too. um, What was your earliest memory of a microaggression or socially phobic comment that you can remember? Oh my gosh. I'm like trying to think back. I don't even know. Um, When you're a kid, and I feel like I still am this way, I always assume like the best of people like I never am going to like why did they say that I'm like oh they just didn't know mm-hmm. like I feel like that's like <laughs> such like a huge like part of my childhood just like being like oh no they didn't know it's just an accident mm-hmm. so like now I'm trying to think do you remember what yours was I feel like <laughs> there were definitely like some kind of side things and mm-hmm. observations that I made but the more direct thing that I remember is being on the bus in junior kindergarten mm-hmm. And I was a very loud, extroverted kid. And my mom, I think that was the age where my mom had cut my hair all orange, cut and dyed it all orange. I was looking like a little anime (laughs) character. Anyhow, that was not helpful. But there was this one kid that was two years older than me. And he started saying, you know, ching chong and like bringing his eyes up and Mm -hmm. all those like, you know, classic Asian insults that the kids say. Um, And I remember him saying, like, you're Chinese, whatever. And my way of standing up for myself was saying, no, I'm Vietnamese. You're wrong. I'm Vietnamese (laughs) because I just didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling my parents, he called me Chinese and he's not listening to me. I'm Vietnamese, mom and dad. I'm Vietnamese. And they just, Mm -hmm. they ended up getting the kid kicked off the bus. But at the time, I still didn't fully understand. Like, I just thought he was stupid and not listening to me as opposed to it just you know obviously being racist mm-hmm. it's like you might as well be racist in the right way yeah <laughs> okay I don't know I was looking through photos the other day just like me at I think I guess it was like some type of dance recital when I was right. like a few years old 
my mom was taking a picture, but you can see this little girl just like grabbing into my hair. And I kind of like remember that a lot as I was a child, like people like being like, oh, why does your hair look like that? Or like saying my hair was fake. And they're like, oh, and then like touching my hair. Like it doesn't feel like real hair. And just like stuff like that, I think as a kid, like I guess kids, like they learn what's okay from their parents. So I'm like, why did their parents Mm -hmm. teach them that that type of thing was okay sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Especially the you know, there's physical boundaries, but also just, I think that the curiosity mm-hmm. is fine, but the, the way in which it was asked and just, yeah. and it's also just like kind of crazy that back then, even in our childhood, people didn't know any other hair type other than straight and like straight and nor- normal, no, I literally guess you could normal. say. That's right? what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. This leads into my next question, mm-hmm. which is related to a lot of our experiences, right? Mm. Being kids and interpreting this. A lot of social phobias tend to be determined through families and mm-hmm. social gatherings and from their parents. But at which point do you think that people become responsible for their own thoughts and how they perceive others? Because it maybe is on the line of being fine when there's like this four-year-old girl being like, why is your hair like that? Mm-hmm. But at what point do we kind of expect for people to know the difference between right or wrong or like just like accepting versus ignoring you know what I mean like that question it's just like like I feel like we should like grow up being taught to know but we aren't but then it's almost like if a 50 year old man will use that as as an excuse so I feel like when we're within like this society and the way like the parameters of it it's like oh we, we'll always take that. Oh, I just, I was raised that way. I was this that way. I was that that way. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like it's not right, but that's what's accepted by like the masses. Yeah. Like, oh, they're just learning. We need to like learning, learning, learning. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, there's no way in your however many years of life as like a old man that you've mm-hmm. never like, it's, it's a difference between learning and not wanting to learn mm-hmm. and then saying you don't know. <laughs> how to do it as an excuse um <laughs> which is kind of that weird in between where it's like I feel like there's some things that you're responsible for knowing mm-hmm. and what are those things that doesn't even seem like you should be taught like I, we're born not having all these phobias I mean. about people so and you bringing up old old people the mm-hmm. elderly is interesting to me because yeah when I was writing this question I was thinking a lot about kids and their comments and they grew mm-hmm. up but then yeah these people go their whole lives and then we kind of excuse seniors for having yeah. certain beliefs because they're of a different generation but should different they generation be growing? Thing. I'm like I'm of a different generation well you're here now yeah okay you're still living so you, <laughs> you should are still here be growing now with okay. society <laughs> yeah and then you can bring in religion into that and things that mm-hmm. maybe tie people it's things that are maybe more important to people than educating themselves yeah. on new topics or changing and their mind. I feel like a part of the reason where it's like, I don't see that as like a valid excuse towards hurting somebody instead of just apologizing. Like, I don't know, but I remember being as a kid, like growing up within like these certain things of being taught what was, what was right and wrong. For example, I was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. but then even as a child, I feel like I just had like this, like, overwhelming like need to like accept people Mm -hmm. so then even though I was taught like for example I was taught that like gay people like are going to hell I was taught that like they're sinners or whatever Mm -hmm. but I never once like as a child like 
like thought that I was like, this is what they're teaching me. But I'm just like, you know, I just have my own little thing. And I feel like that can be rare. Like in children, sometimes you just have this, like, it doesn't make sense to exclude so many people for Mm -hmm. this arbitrary reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that thing that you identified is sometimes, I guess, beat out of kids or made beat in a sense like I know what they, you mean. Yeah, they become scared to question things, or it's made easier to because it's like you listen to your parents, you listen mm-hmm. to your teacher. You're taught to listen to figures of authority that have their own biases, and mm-hmm. and if you relinquish your like individual thoughts, when I think it's good to listen to authority, obviously, mm-hmm. but not that's not the only thing. Because I to- will say though, I did have trouble with authority as children <laughs> as, I'm, as a child. Um, <laughs> Okay, she said zero to 100%. Right? So I feel like that was a part of it. I was like, no. Like, I had this strong sense of, like, like, even if they, like, think they're right, like, this is still wrong. Which is, I, Mm. like, listen to your parents, kids, but, like, I don't know. (laughs) So the next question that I have for you is kind of jumping from the family side of things and going into society at large. Okay. How would you differentiate between people celebrating culture versus cultural appropriation? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm referencing that conversation because I talked about this in the last episode, Weird Things That Men Say, mm-hmm. where those guys brought up the different scenarios with adopting kids. Oh my gosh. And if the adoptive parents, for example, want to integrate their child's culture into their life. Mm-hmm. Is that their place? Is that appreciation or is it appropriation? Like there's a lot of different layers. So I just wanted to hear your opinion on it. <laughs> well, okay. I feel like that's like a super like very nuanced topic. <laughs> and then it's just like, first of all, I want to say, you know, whenever I'm talking about this, I find that some people like ask me stuff like this. Like, what is, what is the line? And I always like preface it by saying at like, this is my individual, you know, take on it. Because mm-hmm. if we go into larger areas, people within that same culture, even if it's a culture that I'm a part of, they're going to disagree. They're going to say, this is okay, but this isn't. But I feel like a lot of it goes to intent and also the willingness to learn and education. For example, like for the child's thing, you were just saying, like you adopt a child from a different culture and you want them to learn that culture. Mm-hmm. I feel like, the line between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation would be the ways of which you go about doing that. For example, let's say, okay, I adopt, give me a random culture of child. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know, Chinese, let's go with that. I adopt a Chinese child and I feel like it's important to preserve um, this child's cultural heritage. So I want them to be immersed in things from their culture. I feel like it would be cultural appropriation if I went on Google, um, like found like a type of like, <laughs> you know, like went on Google yeah. like for 30 minutes and was like, okay, you know what? I know about this culture. I can give my child these tools. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is like super problematic. Yeah. And almost like when you don't know anything about it, but you know a couple things. So then you kind of bastardize the whole culture. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're putting it through your own personal filter. That's what I mean versus as. Um, maybe take the child to maybe if they have after school program Mm -hmm. for other kids, I feel like they need to learn from people from that culture. When it's about cultural appropriation, I think the important piece is, is that 
the people of those cult of that specific culture mm -hmm. have a say in what's happening. Whereas it's just like, it's weird if they don't, then it's mm -hmm. like, what, what is the point? And they're not involved in the process. At all. Yeah. If they're not involved in the process, I feel like that's where the line is crossed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I like that explanation. Mm -hmm. It like, cause I've been kind of struggling with my perspective on it, as we were saying, cause I have a friend growing up that mm -hmm. her parents did that. And I, as far as I know, they didn't involve anybody of that culture. And it was a lot of, you know, food and everything else and she's one of those girls now that makes a lot of asian comments oh we're asian oh we're this and that which she is but mm -hmm. just the way in which she talks about the culture too i can tell that she feels removed from it which yeah. maybe is because she was taught by white because how can you be immersed culture. in a culture if you're learning about your culture from somebody who's like never experienced it never been a part of it right. do you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah Another topic that I was thinking of from mm -hmm. our discussion with the guys was how we feel about adoptions coming only from certain countries most of the time. Like specifically with babies that are being adopted from Southeast Asia, from mm -hmm. Africa, this sort of thing. Like, is it an act of white heroism and is it needed or is it inherently wrong if there's a the subconscious motivation, but it outwardly has a positive result? for the kids i feel like it's gonna have a negative effect for the child if the intent wasn't pure do you mm -hmm. know what i mean it doesn't matter if you didn't adopt the child just because it doesn't it didn't matter where they were from you wanted a child you want mm -hmm. this love you want to protect a child mm -hmm. but i feel like if you had underlying other motives mm -hmm. that weren't pure it's gonna come out somehow in the end mm -hmm. i that's just how i feel right do you know what i mean yeah you saying that reminds me of just when I'm talking to friends about completely different topics. Like, mm -hmm. is this example cheating? Is this example lying or whatever? It all, honestly, actions are important, obviously, but I think mm -hmm. intent is also intent very is very important, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like the difference between first and second and third degree murder. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. <laughs> like, it's like the intent of it. And I feel like if you don't do the work to even question yourself on of your motives right. and don't look into are these motives, you know, self-serving mm -hmm. or are these motives um, helping other people? I feel like that's an issue also if you don't even think of that. You know what I mean? Right. You don't even ask those questions true. in the first place. Mm. I feel like that's bad. Comes back to the why. Yep, the like why. <laughs> <laughs> this question is going to be about the man saying the n-word in our conversation oh my gosh <laughs> um basically us four we were sitting and i don't remember in what context did he say the n-word again they okay for every time that i catch like a man that's not black saying the n-word it didn't need to be okay first of all it never <laughs> needs to be there yeah. but it was just like exclamation like mm -hmm. you could have just said you could have literally said anything else yeah <laughs> i think it was yeah i think it was like an end point to a conversation we were just talking about random stuff mm -hmm. and then he was talking about his friends and he was like oh whatever and then he said n-word and then he looked over at lexi and, and i he said oh and, i'm sorry oh i'm sorry as as if it's like a pre-rehearsed thing where he's used to saying it and then apologizing and yeah. this has happened to me so many times obviously this is Alberta, okay? And I'm a black person. <laughs> yeah. And there's not a lot of black people around here, especially if you go more rural to like where I live. I don't yeah. live in the city. Honky tonk. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then it's always the, oh, I'm sorry. But to me, you're just telling on yourself. You're telling on yourself. Mm -hmm. Now I know you say that word all the time because it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. If -hmm. you couldn't not say it in front of the world, like of the one black person you run into, yeah, you know, I can tell like that's your favorite word. You know what I mean? Like that's probably like your vocab word of the week. That actually, that makes sense when you're describing that because it's like, there are certain scenarios where it's like, I know not to say the F word around kids or whatever, which is a completely different. Do you know what I mean? Kind, but, but like yeah. you're telling on yourself. In front of a black person. Yeah. That like you don't you, know. That's what I mean. It's like, you couldn't even hold it back there. Yeah. It's like, I, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like she's rolling her eyes at the ceiling right now at the gods. She's like, fuck these people. Like, and that's what I think. Like, it's not even a matter if I stopped every person that's saying the N word. It's just like, you're telling on yourself. And now I know to get the fuck away from you. Pretty much. That's yeah, how I take it. Absolutely. That's how I take it. So <laughs> like when we're talking about the reasoning, reasoning, quote unquote, mm-hmm. behind saying the N-word, do you feel like like there's a lot of debates online with mm-hmm. reclamation versus it being censorship if people can't say it? Or do mm-hmm. you feel like it's just hateful and completely unnecessary? Like what's your stance on people? that black people using the n-word non-black people using the n-word people using the n-word in general well first of all how are you reclaiming a term when you're not black to begin with which is the craziest thing ever. you know it's not what it meant to girl like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's like what are you doing yeah and the thing is like i just feel like a lot of it is a lack of compassion because i'm even thinking like i would never say a slur towards another group for what? Do you know what I mean? Even yeah. that that group reclaimed it. That mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. If it's a slur, you know that it hurt people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and you know that it still does hurt people. So I would just never do that. But I guess, you know, some yeah. people do that. <laughs> it's like the most interesting argument that I've gotten mm-hmm. on that note, and I've mentioned this yeah. to you, is the idea that if somebody believes in non-censorship, believes in freedom mm-hmm. of speech, they feel like we should be using all words and that leaving a word untouched makes it even more powerful and therefore it's like i don't know you're feeding into it but i'm like see but the people who say that i want to sit in a room with them okay (laughs) (laughs) that's like oh we need to reclaim all words okay then let me say whatever the fuck i want to say to you and it's reclaimed don't get offended it's reclaimed do you know what i mean yeah I guess, yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, that's what I mean. Very fair. It's like going up there with like a Bible full of things to say to mm-hmm. them in a hateful way, mm-hmm. calling out their family, calling out the mm-hmm. history, everything. And that's all of what the N word represents. Yeah. That's censorship. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you would want me to censor myself. Yeah. If, like, you know what I, <laughs> in, at in some that point. equivalent. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of our favorite white people along the lines of that. How do we feel about white people that only date people of color? Do we feel like it's appreciation? Because again, I ha- I know some people that mm-hmm. have a very deep preference towards certain races or certain, and it's, mm-hmm. it's considered an appreciation thing. They just hate white boys, which I'm like, sometimes same. But also I think it's weird that, fuck, I don't know. I What are, what are okay, your thoughts on first this? First of all, okay. What okay, people can date who they want to date as long as it's consensual, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if to me, you could have your preference of people, mm-hmm. but then it's a preference between like there's a difference, I feel like, between preference versus like this is absolute, these are the only people I date, these, these are the only people, people I will ever be with. These 
Yeah. <laughs> I think you need to we need to unpack this. Like if anybody tells me that, I'm like, so what's the reason? You yeah. know, like, what happened to you? <laughs> I think too <laughs> I think in a reverse way, obviously it's different being a person of color dating white people a lot with mm-hmm. the way that that's we grew also up. like a whole other There's thing. Layer. Yeah, but when I look back on just my history of people that I've liked, people that I've dated, mostly being white up until this point, mm-hmm. I recognize that as like that's the majority white people are seen as the height of beauty mm-hmm. and attractiveness but now that I've kind of grown out of that put in the effort to date and learn from more people of different Mm -hmm. backgrounds I feel like I don't even see not not I don't see color kind of way but just like (laughs) it's it's not like people get brownie points or get deducted points based on what their ethnic background is it's just something that exists with them see because I know like (laughs) I'm like I like I feel like if I had like a YouTube channel and I was like saying this, people were gonna come for me in the comments, right? Because <laughs> like my dating history is mostly white men. Mm-hmm. Like the people that I've like dated more extensively. Like I feel like I've been on dates with everyone. Yeah. But then like I feel like that like people don't keep in mind also, like it depends where you live, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say this right <laughs> now. It depends where you live. For example, like let's say in high school. Or like in my town, where where are the other men? Mm-hmm. Where are the other men? Yeah, that aren't white, and also the other men that like show interest in you. And I guess that's another interesting thing too, where there's that stereotype that actually kind of rings true, where a lot of heterosexually speaking, mm-hmm. a lot of I know I was just supposed to say I'm <laughs> speaking very heterosexually <laughs> right now. Very yeah, we like I, I don't the know queer I, stuff I, later. That's like a whole. Other... I was just like, listen to what I was saying I was like um like we're leaving a lot out yeah I gotta gotta set the tone but I don't know I don't know if it's like weird that I think I lost my train of thought so I know (laughs) fuck me is the ADHD coming in I think the thought process is gone (laughs) it's gone I think the thought process is gone Mm -hmm. I guess the next thing that I wanted to talk about after this which is like if it comes back up it comes back up okay I, this is your favorite topic age gap relationships no. and power dynamics so i don't know if you want to give the audience just a little bit of context behind why i'm flaming you a bit um and then just how you feel about it personally you don't have to speak for everybody but just okay so the reason why uh selena was like this is your favorite topic um <laughs> she's like i'm about to expose myself i feel like we're exposing let's talk this is also like specifically i feel like men-centered for me mm-hmm. okay my aversion not even my aversion my i don't even know how to like explain this in words <laughs> my lack of <laughs> romantic interaction with younger men and i by by younger i don't mean like I just mean my age. Mm-hmm. And I've interacted with men my age, but I find I usually go for older people. Mm-hmm. And me and Delina have talked a lot about this. Mm-hmm. And I just like why that is mm-hmm. and why that happens, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of, you've said that a lot of older men tend to approach you as well. Yes. Um, I pretty much only get approached by older men. And which is, we, which, I don't know the implications of that because I kind of look like a child. <laughs> Lexi is a is a young looking 21, 22 year old, I will say. Yes. I'm not super bebe. Like you can get into the club for right. sure. But it's still like what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? 
And it's like, when you think about that, when you think about it from both sides, your side and from the side of these older men that approach Mm. you, why do you think, like, do you think that you have subconscious things that you can identify (laughs) in yourself or things that you might think, like, do you think the age gap also goes along with race? Because I think it's white men, I've noticed, assume that women of color tend to look younger anyways so sometimes that's a thing too but then also the whole thing of like the trend of like older white men dating younger women of color is also a thing too yeah which is interesting a lot to unpack a lot to unpack a lot to unpack Mm -hmm. That I feel like the more I try to unpack it, the more I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay, that is fair. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to the next question. We'll Off, off script, we'll do it. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to the older men. <laughs> or never. Or never. never. When, I'm, when I'm actually retired, I'll come back right? to the older men. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the next question that I have is related more to um, – like the lgbtq community okay but more specifically on the trans end of the spectrum okay which to um this disclaim me and lexi are both cis yes uh women but um i thought this is a pretty relevant topic especially when you consider the upcoming olympics and just a lot of news publications that Mm -hmm. have come out surrounding trans athletes uh so just as like an introduction uh, we were talking about childhood and people being kids and everything and mm-hmm. us figuring out that we're queer throughout our childhood. How early do you think that parents or people should be allowed to allow their child to transition as they're going through that? Okay. So I feel like this year in psychology, um, like for the focus of some of my research I did, I mm-hmm. did do some research on body dysmorphia on um, transgender individuals. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, of course, I could never speak for a trans person. And of course, I always have so much more to learn. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like even from a young age, people know who they are. And I feel like we should be allowing people to live as they are. And I, that's not saying transitioning. Mm-hmm. When people hear the word transition, I feel like they think of specific things like a, like the surgery, gender reassignment, surgery. gender reassignment surgery. But what people don't understand is, for children, transition isn't that. It would just be allowing the child to pretty much be who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's like a a super important distinction mm-hmm. to make because yeah, when people think transitioning, they think hormones at least. Yeah. Then they think medical, gender reassignment, mm-hmm. surgery, all the other things that come along with it. And I don't know what your stance is on that, but I do think that medical things maybe 16, 18 in terms of like permanent, mm-hmm. cause I think plastic surgery too, a lot of the time you can't get, but yeah. I think for personal, like appearance wise things Mm -hmm. like you mentioned i think that that definitely should be allowed yeah like even just like thinking back to when you were a child like for example from a young age you know who you are and even though you might grow up to repress that and push that down because of the people around you Mm -hmm. it's like you have that innate feeling do you know what i mean yeah that's what i feel like when about like oh how do you know you're bisexual that type of thing like, I didn't have the words for it, but it was always who I was. Yeah. And I remember, like, even as a child, like, specifically repressing that. And, like, the more you repress that, it's, like, the more that you lose touch with who you are. 
So do you think then, because I think it's really interesting when people present as like male and they transition and then they kind of go the opposite way at mm -hmm. some point and they kind of have a realization that they aren't actually trans and then they detransition. Mm -hmm. like, do you think that that's because of the repression again? Or do you genuinely also think that that has to do with the changing nature of figuring out who you are? Because I yeah. think that's part of a lot of the debates nowadays too. See, um, I feel like it could be both. And every individual is like very unique to their journey, like mm -hmm. of why they would transition or why they would detransition. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that feeling of who you are can change over time. Mm -hmm. You may have come out as something, but then later you realized like through growth and through more life that mm -hmm. maybe that was the best label for yourself at the time, but it isn't now. And I always like think like just the, how kind of counterintuitive labels can be. It's affirming to kind of be like, okay, like there's a word for who I am and this is what I am. But then it can be harmful when you don't exactly fit into those parameters. And then it can be hard to navigate that as an individual too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you're in the in-between and you're still mm -hmm. figuring it out, right? Like it's nothing that you could determine why this person did this mm -hmm. until you know that each unique individual and their journey. Like I feel like mm -hmm. to say oh, like this happens for one reason or this happens for another reason. Like, I feel like that's too like putting things in black and white when it's like, it's really isn't that way. In terms of, I guess, like current legislation, and mm -hmm. you could even extend this as into intersex individuals. And it's like the medical procedure is done in, in a way to like, oh, like save the baby or like help them biologically later on. But also like at what point it's like when you pierce your baby's ears too. Mm -hmm. what sector of bodily autonomy does that fit into and also them figuring out themselves later on like mm -hmm. should there be legislation surrounding this in in order to allow or disallow people to have surgeries at a certain age or not allow it for both trans and intersex people I feel like a problem with that, like when you were saying the ears pierced or sometimes when an intersex uh, child is born, like the guardians of that child will decide which sex organ they want that child to keep. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of this goes back to us as a society. I feel like we don't view children as people. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. And while children need caregivers and everything, I feel like a lot of this stuff is so dependent on the people who are caring for you mm -hmm. do you know what i mean whoever that is like a lot of children don't get to make the decisions on who they are mm -hmm. because they can't i feel like when it's it's reliant on the parents with these laws and everything you could change the laws but who who you have making the, these decisions for you as a child mm -hmm. it's not going to matter what the law is almost if you're a parent if you don't want your child to access this you're their parent they can't access it do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're saying at the base of it all, it all has to do with the parents and the family and everything else. And yeah. how the child kind of grows up mm -hmm. and how they figure out who they are. Yeah. I guess in terms of all the debates that are going on in the news, when we're talking about parents, do we think it's a maybe a lack of education on that note? Mm -hmm. Do we think that lack of education in terms of letting your child figure out who they are, like education on the non-cis straight kind mm -hmm. of side of society. And do we think that maybe that type of thing would help parents know to let their kids figure it out later on? Um, I think 
there is a lack of education for sure. But I also think you have to look at like the structure of society, how that's not accepted within society. Even if there's more education about transgender people, there's a lot of hate towards that group of people in society. Mm-hmm. So I feel like then just, oh, people are educated. That's why they're not doing this. It's like, no, it's not only that they're not educated, the system we're in is built to te- like it teaches non-acceptance of these people. It seems like acceptance is like a small majority. Mm-hmm. So until that changes, I feel like the education, there can be as much educational resources as there can be, but if people aren't willing to learn, then mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Hearing you talk is making me think just everything's coming back full circle. And it's like <clears throat> when people decide to have kids, and again, it's very hard. If mm-hmm. we were to ever have a society where you had to pick who could be a parent, who couldn't, it's very hard to define. Yeah, and it's like who gets to lines, pick that, too. right? But I think a good parent is, like you said, accepting that your child has their own body and they're a separate mm-hmm. person from you. So I see what you're saying in terms of like all these debates, everything else comes back to the fact that the parent feels like their child is theirs, like That's their what I owned mean. object. Like, but of yeah. course your child is a part of you, but it's the difference between my child is a part of you, but they're their own individual human being as well. Mm-hmm. So side <laughs> note, I'm sorry, just so, from mm-hmm. so yeah, speaking of trans people and again with the news and everything, do we think that transgender athletes should be allowed to compete in regular binary divisions. I'm just going to give you some context behind that because I've been having like some debates with some people as well Mm -hmm. with the definition of what's considered to be equal or acceptable in sport. So if you take the example of like an athlete that is cis male and then they transition to female, but their Mm -hmm. whole career throughout their lives were like, being a professional athlete, they would naturally want to continue yeah. in their sport, but they have biological differences mm-hmm. that would make it technically unequal. But then when I brought this up to my friend, she was saying Michael Phelps biologically has larger lungs, which give mm-hmm. him an advantage, but yeah. it's like, where do you draw the line? And also what would the solution be? Right. Cause you mm-hmm. can't allow a trans female athlete to also compete with the men technically. And it's like a whole different thing, right? Like I Mm -hmm. know another suggestion that came up in these discussions was doing a separate Olympics, but then that can be pretty ostracizing and also damaging for people's careers. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but it's a big thing that. Yeah. I feel like when I think about this, I just like, I I don't know what the solution would be. And it's like how we quantify these things. Like it's a topic that I think about a lot, but I feel like for some reason, trans people aren't at the forefront of the topic, which I think is really, really weird. Like whenever Mm -hmm. I like hear this being discussed, for some reason, like trans athletes are left out of it. And it's interesting too, because I wonder if that's because they don't have like they do have a platform, but it's at the expense of their careers that are already at the expense of mm-hmm. them being trans. I feel like they're entrapped in a way where it's like vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And you're very right. That's the thing with, I think, why there's not a lot of movement 
Can you also say that like a group of trans athletes would be the all-knowing, all-saying population? Definitely more so than cis people making the decision. There's just no input from trans people whatsoever, though. I feel like that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you trying to make decisions about a group of people that you know nothing about Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that you're not willing to learn about and that you're not including on the decision? That's very true. Yeah. This is a whole other side note, but I just, it makes me sad when I look at politics and whenever we have conversations about representation, how incredibly important it is to have different people that are able to, but then you have to have, you know, give them the opportunity to get there as well. Mm -hmm. The last Mm -hmm. thing that I have to bring up is the transracial versus transabled versus transgender population. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you've heard about all of these you don't don't talk to me about the trans (laughs) i'm just kidding oh my god all of these are in a sense socially or mentally cultivated concepts Mm. right how are we to differentiate what should be celebrated or supportive versus which individuals may need medical assistance or are not helpful to the trans quote-unquote community at large like how do you because my sister's growing up she's turning 16 in two Mm -hmm. weeks and she came to me and she's sending me all these videos of these different populations she's like making all these transphobic comments to me which is really disappointing Mm -hmm. because she's younger gen z has Mm -hmm. grown up pretty aware accepting of everything of me coming out and then for her to say she doesn't believe the fact that there's more than two genders that trans people even exist like she's like it's not normal for people to want to biologically alter their body which i'm like there's a lot of other things aside from it's like and also mental (laughs) stuff right i was explaining this to her but then she's like how do you explain transracial and transabled people like people cutting off their limbs because they feel like they should have not had two arms in another life and i'm like it's laughable but people use these as arguments against the transgender population Mm -hmm. transsexual population and i'm like how do you differentiate between those oh my god i know the way oh my gosh i don't know i feel like people know that it's not the same thing but they just use that on purpose with transracial i can't the transracial like it just really like come on (laughs) for context the transracial population so i give you an example of what transabled means like somebody that believes that they should have been disabled in some way and Mm -hmm. therefore make themselves disabled to represent that the transracial population believes that they should have been born a different race and therefore they there's like an example of somebody that believes they were to be born korean so they got like eyelid surgery they got different hair dye whatever and i'm like and that reminds me of like the human Ken doll and everything mm-hmm. else, which is like, that's not a race, but in essence, these people are taking appreciation really far. I feel like it's more than appreciation. First of all, gender is something assigned to you at birth. Let's not talk about the people who need to pick up a book and figure out the difference between sex and gender. But with the transracial thing, imagine you're born white right Mm -hmm. and you're like i was meant to be born black (laughs) (laughs) no because i was speechless because i'm sitting with my sister i'm like this is such an odd concept but when you remove when you go all into the psychology method whatever and you don't bring in personal opinions 
I can see how people would convolute <laughs> the different No, topics. because just like <laughs> <laughs> when you think about um and obviously it's different too when you consider a white person mm-hmm. transitioning to a different race. But when you think about like Michael Jackson, for example, okay, going from for, black, but then it's like he was not transracial. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people like use Michael Jackson like he was transracial. He, do you, like, okay, I want everyone to look up vitiligo, okay? It's a condition. Like, you could start out black, but then as time goes, mm-hmm. there's white patches on your body that spread out. That's not transracial. That's a medical condition. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not the same thing. For me, like, what it's like, how would you explain to those people? I'm like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste my time. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I mean. That's what I'm getting at here. It's like. So just continuing on that topic, um, when I mentioned how, because you were talking about people from the trans community actually putting their input into the discussion on trans athletes and the mm-hmm. Olympics and everything. There was this video that my sister sent me again, and it was with Jeffree Star or somebody else saying, um, oh, people! Like, I like, love whole, to bring up Jeffrey Star, Star, which is like, <laughs> oh my god! Anyhow, and they have the platform for it, whatever. Not there, mm-hmm. but I actually don't know. Is Jeffrey feet like? Does do they use she/her pronouns or he/him pronouns? Um, since Jeffrey Star is a terrible person, um, <laughs> a racist, a bigot, mm-hmm. I don't know what pronouns they use. So <laughs> I'm just gonna use they them. them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, they were saying in the interview that there's only two genders. There's no non-binary people, this non-binary bullshit, whatever. They were saying that in the interview. And then the interviewer was like, really? Like, why do you think this? Mm-hmm. And they were like, kind of giving their whole opinion. They were like, and everybody only needs, to, they need to hear it from a trans person. They need to hear it from somebody like me in order to believe it. They're just going on and on and on about being like anti-non-binary people. And I'm like, that's the that's what I worry about, not rightfully so, because again, this isn't my mm-hmm. discussion, but it's when people spotlight certain people in the community to that are digestible, right? Yeah. To fit the narrative, and it makes people listen more, and it sometimes can be more harmful, right? This whole like non non binary people don't exist thing, it's very westernized thought. Because if we look at like different indigenous cultures around the world, a lot of them recognized something that could be seen as non-binary or a third gender. Yeah. For example, like two-spirit indigenous Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And when we say this doesn't exist, you're lying. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You're erasing history, culture, and history. Culture and history. I feel like because like through colonization, now we just say, oh, since these things don't exist within our society. Or within the society that has colonized us, they guess they don't exist anymore. And I feel like that's yeah. No, I it's just, it's such a touchy topic. I, know. A, I feel like this whole section is just us being like, what the fuck is going I on? I know, like <laughs> what really is going on? I brought this up again in the conversation with my sister, but it was a good kind of discussion to have because I was like, what would I say in a more civilized, professional environment mm-hmm. outside of me just telling my sister? don't become transphobic. Like, <laughs> like I didn't raise you this way. <laughs> like, yeah, like other cultures recognize this third gender, but because of like the Western world really dominating media, 
I hope that it doesn't send other cultures backwards in a way. It already has. Like, that's what colonization is. Do you know what I mean? That's, this it's like fast. it's already happened. You're Actually, right. Actually, we're all dealing with Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> you're kidding, but you're not kidding. I actually just forgot about the whole history of America. Stop. <laughs> okay. Um, the next section mm-hmm. is about mental health and healthcare. Okay. So we've chatted about therapy and its universal benefits to the population mm-hmm. briefly. So of course we're going to talk about defunding the police. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Do we believe that this would be helpful in terms of like reallocating funds towards other areas of therapy and society, whatever, what specific areas do you think would be most helpful for people if we were to cover it? for them and also how they could be improved hmm okay well we can't defund the police when our society is it's systemic at this point do you know what i mean yeah i feel like for mental health and stuff i feel like a lot of the problem with why mental health is such an increasing issue is because of deinstitutionalization mm-hmm. and that's pretty much when they got rid of a place for the mentally ill to go. So back in the day, there would have been asylums. There would have been mental hospitals. We got rid of those and they were terrible places. First of all, let me not say, oh, yep, we need to reopen the asylums. I mean, places for the mentally ill to go. Mm -hmm. Instead of improving those places, you got rid of all of them. And the aftermath of that is there's not enough space for people to get help. So there's not enough resources. So like this is, it ties into the police a lot because when there's deinstitutionalization, we have more homelessness. And for some reason, the police are on the front lines dealing with these people instead of people who are trained to help Mm -hmm. and trained to work with individuals with mental illness or who are in a mental crisis. It's something that I want to be solved, but that I'm like, how? Yeah, how do you go about doing that? And there's so much like lack of information, so much lack of care, so much lack of compassion, so mm-hmm. much lack of empathy that yeah. I'm like, well. <laughs> and the things are just getting, on, on a side note, because I went to Vancouver mm-hmm. recently, right? Like mm-hmm. with things getting more expensive and therapy also getting more expensive, everything mm-hmm. else getting more expensive, there is an increase in the homeless population, mm-hmm. a bunch of other things, right? And it's like, I can't see a short-term solution, There's like a no, quick yeah. solution. It definitely has to be like the government or whoever else actively invests in knowing this is our five-year plan. We're going to commit to it. Mm-hmm. And eventually we would get to the place where we would reallocate maybe some funds towards this, build a mental institution. Yeah, but in the thing city. is mm-hmm. you have to uh, actually have people who care <laughs> um, that this are in power. Is- Right. Uh, for this to happen yeah so when they don't it's like how will this happen and it's frustrating too because just um in order to even get to the point where you can make these new changes mm-hmm. you have to compromise some of your initial morals in order to and get the support from the population That's what I mean. so then i think eventually people go on long enough mm-hmm. that they kind of forget sometimes right why like they you were could there start the with the best place. of intentions but mm-hmm. if something like breaks down right. you sacrifice your morals you sacrifice your beliefs you mm-hmm. sacrifice your dreams 
then along the way, once you're at the top, you're like, why am I, why am I here? Yeah. What, what did I even start? Why did I start this? And I'd like to bring up two examples uh, while we're having this conversation mm-hmm. is the first one is the Stanford prison experiment. Mm-hmm. I think we're kind of talking about that right? <laughs> with yeah. basically in a nutshell, they took this sample set of students from the school and separated them into prisoners and security guards arbitrarily mm-hmm. put them in this isolated experiment for however many days. And eventually the prisoners started acting more and more like prisoners in the sense where they would actually like stop being polite to each other. I think they started like pissing in buckets. They started, and mm-hmm. also the, the prison guards were a lot more aggressive with them yeah. without even having been directed as such. And mm-hmm. the experiment was to demonstrate how power changes people yeah. how lack of right and one example i think of and the second mm-hmm. example i think of is my mentor at work was talking to me about how the higher you are born into the chain i was just about to the say the less that. able you are to see <laughs> what's below you versus when you move your way up you actually see all mm-hmm. the rungs of the ladder i know a lot of people who are like super out of touch that they have this generational wealth mm-hmm do you know what I mean? Yeah, like for absolutely. a long time. So they can't even see what other people are dealing with mm-hmm. or what what like what the real problems are mm-hmm. because you're in your bubble. You don't have to worry about anything. Just these basic things. You've yeah. never had to like worry about like your survival. Do you know what I mean? You mm-hmm. have like as much as you need and much more. People that grow up with certain experiences, it makes you more empathetic to those experiences. For sure, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if the only way that you can make change is having gone through that, that removes the responsibility from the people Everyone that are else. born into that. Bubble. Yeah. And so how, I don't know if there's even a how or a question, but I just wish that there was, I don't know, like you said, people are just compassionate for everyone, like from the get go, even no matter what, but that's like so idealistic. I know that's no, idealistic. And I know, and it sounds like, silly. I, I honestly don't think like I, there's people like that out there for mm-hmm. sure yeah but that's not the majority of people who are compassionate for everyone people are usually compassionate towards a small group of people who they connect to and who they can relate to and they mm-hmm. fail to see the struggles of people who are different from them and i mm-hmm. feel like that's a huge problem it all comes back to we were talking about this too like conversation and being mm-hmm. willing to and having those collaborative spaces yeah and representation for people that understand different sides of what exists out there. Mm-hmm. I, I always feel like I flip-flop between what is within my control as an individual versus mm-hmm. what is within society's control and the government. And if yeah. it's, it is worth having those conversations, but then it's like, I feel like a lot of people feel powerless sometimes. No, they, like that's like a huge feeling I've experienced just like thinking about everything, but being aware that there's nothing like I could do by myself to change it. Like it's a very mm-hmm. like, disheartening feeling I feel like yeah absolutely and I feel like that's why more people don't want to learn like the whole ignorance is bliss thing Mm -hmm. because they're like why do I need to know that's not like I could do anything about it but it's that mentality that I feel like is doing more harm Mm -hmm. than good my initial thoughts with some things it's like okay I don't know about that you can either choose to continue not knowing about it Mm -hmm. or to learn about it and if people just kind of always lean into that curiosity about these topics or literally anything mm. else, the world would just be like a little bit more progressive all the time. That's what I mean. <laughs> like if people just actually wanted to learn 
for example, like I'm always learning stuff and then people are like, why do you know that? Why? Because I'm, I'm like, I never really mm-hmm. want to stop learning. Like, I feel like for me, I'll, I'll be learning until like the day I die. Mm-hmm. And I don't like just want to be like, I know everything now. Everything's okay. Because I don't. And there's always more to learn. And there's always like more to yeah. think about and to experience and to Absolutely. have conversations about. And then I feel like when you decide that there's, oh, there's nothing else I need to do. I feel mm-hmm. like that's not just detrimental to yourself, but it's detrimental to the people around you and to society as a whole, like to you, the world as a whole. You owe know? it almost to yeah. society to continue mm-hmm. growing and learning. And I think I'm also in the same. It, have you? Did you learn about the growth mindset in high school or no. university? It's this whole. It, it's kind of a silly baseline version of a psychology concept, I guess. But it's like the idea of I can't versus I will be able to saying I can't or I won't very fixed mindset Mm -hmm. growth mindset is speaking about yourself your experiences speaking about other people in a way that allows you to mentally grow okay I've never was taught that in school but Mm -hmm. I used to have like this dance teacher and you could never say like you were not allowed to say the words I can't yeah this conversation also reminds me of a discussion that I had with my friend today and also my other friend that I was talking to you about a while ago relating to her significant other saying that he would cheat on her. Yeah. <laughs> um, her saying, so her saying that she's, she feels like she's been dating for so long. She's like too old for this. How old Never is she? Know, like 23, 24. Fuck, she's been dealing anyhow. And then my other friend talking to me today saying, Oh, in another life, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Both are very like harmless, not super deep comments. But I just, I think that goes along with what you're saying. With I personally just want to keep growing and learning my whole mm-hmm. life. And I think when people our age, especially, say that they're too old for this or in another life, I'm like, Bro, you only got one life. You literally. <laughs> another life well you are yeah you know you, what i mean you actually that's not a possibility you are, to entertain. you're not going to be so you mm-hmm. might as well just do it and you our know? lives are like so long we have another whatever optimistically <laughs> right it's 60 like... 70 years right <laughs> so it's like oh god speaking of education i'm gonna jump ahead mm-hmm. a bit this is more of an american conversation okay, but it's american <laughs> it's relevant to in-school evaluations across the board and we're talking standardized testing <laughs> we're talking um. sats the lsat and even high school exams there are many biases that exist in their development yeah. as with coding and everything else people when they build things their biases get integrated into them but if we weren't using exams how else should we determine university admissions or course grades? How would we even the board for people? I was talking about this in one of my courses, just the way education is specific. Like it's the way it is for a reason. And we were talking about Alberta's former education plan and pretty much like we were reading through it and seeing like the biases that were within it. So pretty much um, the goal was to make um, economically successful students. It was like a, this student is going to be able to make money, going to be able to be successful within this capitalistic society, is going to be able to do this mm-hmm. and this. And that's how we val- that's how the government, I feel like, places value on individuals. The school system is set up that way to create individuals mm-hmm. and everybody who falls outside of those rungs 
it's not for them. Do you know what I mean? It's for a specific type of person. Uh, that's such a dystopian way when you describe it like that. <laughs> like everybody is here to make money and make the most no. money. Okay. I know it's, wow. like, it's like kind of going back on my years at school. There is different ways like besides standardized testing to measure intelligence, but we only value a specific type of intelligence in society. Mm -hmm. And until there's more um, change and there's more expansion mm -hmm. of the different ways people can be successful. Aside from money. It's not like, I don't think. And of course it makes sense. The education system feeds the economy. It, yeah. Yeah. And then think about what happens to you if you fall outside the norm, like while going to school, you lift a certain type of student up and what uh, another type of student is a problem. Mm. And it's not that that they're they themselves is a problem. The problem is that they're not fitting this certain set of parameters that wasn't meant to fit any everyone that we've just we've determined as a society that you need to be successful. So when we're talking about this, and this will kind of marry itself with what we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. this is a new saying that I've learned that I really <laughs> love, marrying something. I was like, I personally don't want to get married, but I will marry things in conversation. Okay. <laughs> is the idea of like equity-based scholarships and equity-based job hiring, some people, I'll say some people, think that it's actually almost reverse detrimental because it's not equitable or equal to hire people or give scholarships to people just based on them being in the demographic mm -hmm. reserving med school seats reserving law school seats for people of a different demographic because it puts them a step ahead blah 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 and i'm like okay so the reasoning <laughs> yeah, yeah like just give me your whole word vomit thoughts on this i definitely think it's helpful but i also am biased right when i feel like that that's putting people of a certain demographic a step ahead. I was thinking about something, how our society operates on a hierarchy, right? And on the top is going to be a rich, mm -hmm. straight, cisgender, white man. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. And he's the most privileged. The further you fall down on those rungs, the further you are away from the ideal, the more trouble you have succeeding within a society that was made to lift up only this ideal by saying oh it's giving them like an uneven edge think about your privilege your specific privilege how that has helped you do things that some people couldn't even have dreamed of i don't feel like it's giving somebody an unfair advantage when they've already been born into an unfair advantage to begin with mm -hmm. do you know what i mean and that's something that's very unique about our country and mm -hmm. i discussed this with shelby before she left for austria she's surrounded by white people a lot mm -hmm. over in Europe. And I think that these discussions are very unique to Canada and the States yeah, because we have so many immigrant populations because mm -hmm. of, well, initially colonization and then being a newer country. Mm -hmm. I guess when, when I come across this topic, mm -hmm. I usually think if you're looking at two hires or whatever hirees and they have the exact same experience, the exact same competencies mm. if somebody has the different life experience yeah. i think that that does give them like it helps mm -hmm. them interact with different types of customers or interact in the environment yeah. differently think differently which inherently brings value to your company right but then you get into diversity hiring and that mm -hmm. topic of conversation and it's like where is the line drawn between they're not just trying to fill a quota like they're yeah. actually looking to 
get this person's input, like have them involved fully in the company using mm -hmm. their strengths as opposed to just hiring for the sake of hiring. I know. Whenever somebody's like, oh, it's diversity hire. I feel like that's a problem too. Like if you see one black person at a company, oh, they just got hired because they're black. Yeah. And it's like, what the, like, they but then should... people also don't realize that when you are a part of a marginalized community within your job, within your company, whatever, a lot of the times you feel the need to work harder than everybody else mm. to just be like kind of accepted as equal where you're not seen as an equal. Yeah. Like a lot more goes into that. I get what you're saying mm. to even feel like you earn your place there. Yeah. And also, yeah, to fill in not only like the physical gap, but the mental gap that you feel. Yeah. Being hard in that as well. Mm. The last thing that I kind of, wanted to bring up before we close off the conversation is related to education and prejudices and of course just mm -hmm. wraps up everything into a neat little bow are collective illusions and we've kind of briefly talked about the idea of collective illusions that basically it's like the perception that we like i guess myself and you have mm -hmm. of other people is actually completely opposite to our own and everybody actually thinks that as well mm. so everybody's actually thinking a while thinking that everybody else is thinking b like how do we eventually like educate prejudices and judgment into non-existence like do we think that's even realistic mm -hmm. well 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 <laughs> i feel like it could happen you and me we want to get rid of prejudice but how about the people where prejudice benefits them? Why would they want to get rid of that if it's benefiting them? Mm. So it's almost like a lot of these problems we're trying to solve, people in power don't want them solved because these problems like allow them to gain something more, puts them on top, right. allows them to like have this position of power. So it's like, why would you, if these people don't want to give up the power, mm -hmm. it's like, what are we going to do? Division isn't helping for sure. More collective discussion, more education, more compassion, more empathy, more just learning about the similarities you have with people rather than the differences mm. will help to eliminate these things. But I feel like a lot of people are unwilling to like find the similarities between them and other people who they've been taught to hate and stuff like that. A lot of growth needs to be done there before we can even address the issues that are there like on a systemic level. I really like what you said about looking more at similarities versus differences. It reminds me of this passage from, you know, my icon Celeste Headley, like the <laughs> conversationalist genius. She had this example in, in her book and she was talking about there was this human rights, educational rights activist in the States in the mid 1950s, 60s-ish. Okay. And she rallied to desegregate schools or hospitals so that okay. people could access healthcare more readily as opposed to traveling across a city to mm -hmm. be able to access it for their own race. With her work, she ended up being elected to some sort of cabinet and okay. working with other people to also improve that for the rest of the states. Mm -hmm. And one of the people that she had to work with was a KKK member at the time. Mm -hmm. And she's black. There was like multiple quotes of like how she navigated that situation. She's like, we just talked every day. We just like talked as people. I didn't yeah. seek to change him. You look at these two people and they're completely opposite. 
that's so important right. because I don't know, mm-hmm. like the way I operate life, I try to treat everybody with kindness because mm-hmm. that's not my MO. Mm-hmm. And just like talking to people, viewing somebody as a human being, like mm-hmm. before anything else. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. And they just fight and yell and um, remove the human, the dehumanize the other side. Mm-hmm. Her being able to have those conversations with him, he eventually left the KKK without yeah. her even having because he saw more of the similarities between them like you said exactly instead of the differences my brain hurts right, right. now <laughs> uh thank you again for having this discussion with me today lexi no problem i appreciate all of your insight into these somewhat abstract and difficult to quantify type of conversations <laughs> Um, Even if we didn't come to concrete conclusions, it's important to get the ball rolling and get more relevant and educated voices in the mix, Mm -hmm. like we were saying earlier. And as I've said in previous episodes, if you stand for nothing, then what do you fall for? True. True. Quote from Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) It's not an original thought, but I don't think anybody's had an original thought before, really. And that's like exactly the discussions we've had. I'd love to get more people in the room eventually to chat and learn and yeah keep the keep the movement going and yeah i would just like to say thank you for your time thanks for having me it was super cool you know it was hard to answer some stuff but i really enjoyed it and it like made me think a lot which i like so yeah (laughs) we do like to think things right (laughs) she's doing a lot of thinking because she's been in three straight terms of school four three four three three yeah, RIP. She's going to be in four by the end of December. Right. Four straight semesters. <laughs> RIP. Thank you. I would like to recognize just how lucky we are to be able to have these conversations in the open without real repercussion or consequence. It's crazy to think, but in some places, these topics can only take form as thoughts and whispers and nothing more. I'm a firm believer that big changes can start with small discussions and bullet point ideas. If we all get a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable and sharing the space with people on the other side of the floor, I would hope that the future could advance in a much more collective and socially positive way. I appreciate you all tuning in yet again for another episode of Truth or Delina, and I can't wait to chat again soon. Stay tuned for future content as always. My name is Delina. Cheers.